So we are now in uh, the latter part of Luke chapter 20 and going into the beginning of Luke 21. So we have two sections that we're going to be looking at. The, the first one at the end of Luke 20 is the question about who is the Christ. And then the beginning of chapter 21 is the giving or the, the, the widow's giving that the Lord refers to. So we'll read it together. So we're looking at Luke 20, verse 40. So we'll read from verse 39. So Luke 20, verse 39, through to Luke 21 and verse 4. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. Then Jesus said to them, Who is it that they say the Christ is the son of David? Sorry, how is it that they say the Christ is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All those people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So, we come to a, a slight change in the, if you call it the tactics of the Lord, maybe borne out by um, what was going on around him. We've been reading uh, previously about the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these people looking to trap the Lord with questions. They were a, a group that were obviously sent out by the Jews to try and entrap him by proving him, as they would see it, to be a fraud, to be somebody uh, who was, uh, should not be listened to because they were being challenged and they felt threatened by the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've thought before, they were in a, a sense of being so engrossed in the law of Moses that they had lost the vision, they had lost the teaching, and they did not understand the truths 
from the Old Testament, that they were being guided towards the coming Messiah who was standing in their midst and they didn't recognize him. So they got to the point when the, the skill of the Lord Jesus in his answering of the questions had really rendered them speechless. And that's what we read at the beginning. They had got to the point when really they were no match for him. And uh, they became quiet. And so the Lord then switches and he asks them a question. He asks them a question to consider. One of the most important questions. Now, if you read these, um, the, the Matthew and Mark accounts, um, you, you get a, a fuller picture of it. Um, one of the last questions that's not recorded in Luke here was that was asked of the Lord was when he, he was required to answer which of the laws was the greatest. And he responded in that by saying that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might. And then the second one, which was hard on its heels, <laughs> was to love your neighbour as yourself. And, and he told them that everything hung on these two things. So that was just before this. So that was how that ended. Rendered them speechless. It's not recorded in Luke. And then he comes to a question. Then he says, well, what do you think of the Christ? And again, you'll read that in Matthew. <laughs> and you read it in Mark. It doesn't mention it here. Because what do you think of the Christ? And then he goes on to say, which we've just read, um, how is it that some people are saying that the Christ is the son of David? So I'm just mentioning that just to get the full context of it because it's referred to in the other books. But the big question really is, is who, what do you think? Who do you think I am? What think ye of Christ? I often quote that, what think ye of Christ, because it's, that's the revised version um, wording of it, and it was, I say plastered, it was painted on the side of the Scottish Gospel van, which my father drove for many years, and was parked outside my house <laughs> for many years. And every time I come home from school, my friends would say, what's that doing up there? <laughs> And of course, we got bombarded with it every time coming back from school. What do you think of Christ? Which at the time for me was quite embarrassing, I'm sorry to say, but it really was a challenge to everybody who looked at it. And this is, of course, what the Lord was doing here. He's challenging them. You know, when he, he said to Peter, if you remember, um, who do men say that I am? And some say Elijah and Moses. But who do you say that I am? The reason I'm just mentioning that, you know, you remember Peter's response to that, of course. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord's response to Peter was, well, you never got that yourself. You couldn't have worked that out yourself. That had to come from my Father in heaven. <coughs> empowered by the Holy Spirit and of course that is so much we should never ever be proud of any knowledge that we might have of scripture we should never feel proud of 
thinking that we are above or better or more knowledgeable than other Christians or other people because what we have has come from above and um, all we can do is to ask and to open our minds and hearts and wait to be filled it's his prerogative so Peter Peter's response was spot on here the Lord is just asking this question generally and it's the question that really is if we look at it he's asked about you know which is the most important law <laughs> this would be well which is the most important question that you could ever be asked that's got the most importance would be this one what do you think of Christ and that's a question I think that the Lord is putting out there and it's for us today it's for us always it's a question that should ever be before us it's not a question that you answer and move on from it's a question that's ongoing it's deep and there's no one single answer uh, although I've said so but what Peter said was spot on it was but it's the depth of understanding what he said. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does that mean to you? Because your meaning and your understanding of that, your um, acceptance and appreciation is going to determine the type of person, the type of Christian you are, the type of life you live, and will reflect on your giving. And we'll come on to that later. I'm not just meaning monetary. I'm talking about giving of ourselves. And so the Lord is challenging them. And not it was a question that was not like the ones that had been put to him, which were designed to entrap, to catch out, to prove false. This was a, a question that was designed to stir the heart, to make you think. And this is what Jesus was doing. It was an instruction. It's one of the things that I suppose a lot of us who have the opportunity of preaching uh, often say from the platform that really we need to get into the Word. <laughs> we need to study the Word of God. How else are you going to find out the answer to this question about um, who is Christ? Um, that is something that there needs to be a desire to answer, not something that you flick on and say, well, we'll let the scribes and the Pharisees and them answer that question. That's a question for everybody. It's a question today for everybody. It was the, the truth that the Lord was pointing them to is he wanted them to focus on who he was so that they could understand that he indeed was the Messiah. But what did the Messiah look like? And by that I mean they were all looking for the Messiah and they, but they all had, the Jews anyway, had their own picture of what the Messiah was going to do. And of course, some of them had got it wrong in as much 
that they were they were expecting this Messiah to come and uh, free them from the bondage of the, the Romans, that they would make them a great nation again, and that they would be put out of their poverty and their suffering and their bondage, and that this is how they, their perception of a Messiah, which is distorted in their mind. And again, it was a lack of understanding of who the Messiah was and the fact that he was from God and that the Messiah was God. And therefore, it came down to understanding and trusting that if this man was the Messiah, then he was God. Therefore, then we trust him implicitly that he will do what is right and what is necessary and not be expecting him to do what they think is right. And of course, that's exactly the same as we are today when it comes to an understanding and appreciation of God, is that we expect God to do what we think is right. Our interpretation of Scripture, our understanding of good and evil, and we want God to sort it according to the framework of David King. And then when he doesn't, get upset because uh, surely David King's right <laughs> and this is why he was quoted them he quoted them this verse from Psalm 110 verse 1 the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet because when they answered and said, well, the Messiah is going to be the Christ who is going to be the son of David. And of course, when the Lord put the question to, well, if that's right, and of course, that's what the scriptures did teach. So he's saying, well, if that is right, how come? How do you understand this verse? How can the Lord say to my Lord, sit at my right hand if he's just the son of David. How can he be my Lord? David's Lord. It was um, one that we can understand and, and um, answer maybe quite easily <laughs> um, today because of our knowledge and understanding of scripture that's been given. To them, it was a puzzle. It was them that stops them in their tracks because, well, they couldn't give an answer to this. David calls him Lord. How can he then be his son? And of course, they are, what they are, were struggling with is that they couldn't see the Lord Jesus Christ as being son of God and son of man. And the, that was the struggle. Um, he was just the son of David so therefore he was just somebody who was going to come from the lineage of the great king David and uh, that was true but he was also God I just want to read some scriptures uh, with you so I think if we look at um, Philippians 2 Uh, Philippians 2 and verse 9. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And then over to or back to Ephesians chapter 1. Again, much the same, verse 1, sorry, verse tw- chapter 1, verse 20. And just going into verse 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he ex- exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And then lastly in Hebrews, again, Hebrews, two verses in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And then lastly, just in chapter 8 of Hebrews, verse 1. The point of which we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. I think, you know, these were New Testament scriptures that we've got that help us to fully understand and appreciate who Christ is and where he is now and how we should understand and appreciate his majesty his position I was thinking in prayer this morning about the, the indignation of Christ uh, again after his resurrection it really was, was striking me when I was um, reading about this just to, in understanding you know, the, who Christ is is that um, if we understand who he is, we know how to respond to him. We know how to um, understand him better and to understand his reaction to certain things helps us in our understanding of how we should react to sin particularly and how we should respond in our lives. So I think At the end of it all, the Lord went on to talk about hypocrisy. And I think there's a lot of uh, in there that we just need to take away and personally look at and make sure that we rid ourselves of any such things in our lives. And hypocrisy is something that we see in others but find it harder (laughs) to see it in ourselves. it can be very easy for us to get into ruts, get into way of life, to get into self-satisfied, self-righteous type of living. And uh, whilst I, I certainly would very much hesitate to, to, to say that 
we are in any way like the people that the Lord was referring to there because the, the scribes and the Pharisees were blatant hip, hypocrites. And he pointed it out to his disciples, and I'm sure he did so, to say, well, you might not be that bad, <laughs> but be careful. You're not even a little bit like them. And it's something that we can very easily fall into the trap of, of um, false praise and remembering and forgetting that we follow a man who is nothing like that. You could never accuse Christ of being a hypocrite. You could never accuse Christ in any way of trying to lord it over people. He was humble. He was gentle. He was meek. And that's what we should be like. And so I think at the end of that chapter, he just um, finishes off by saying, such men will be punished most severely. So he was clearly indicating this was something that was abhorrent. It was something he wanted no part with. So going on to the widow's giving. It's interesting that it starts off in chapter 21 that it says that as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. So he must have been there. <laughs> um, I think the very first thing that get, comes across to me is that the Lord Jesus put himself in a place to see such things. The teaching for us is clear. When we are giving to God, the Lord Jesus sees it all. We're talking here about the physical giving of money. But of course, you know, we're talking about the wider thing as well, about giving to God. We often say God doesn't need money, but God uses money. And um, it isn't a way, an expression of how, what we feel um, and how we perceive the, the work of the Lord. We've often talked about it from here about the fact that we've got Lord servants who go out into the field, um, third world countries, but this, in this country as well, and they are reaching out, they are reaping, there are things going on that we rejoice with, the planting of new churches, the winning of souls. There's a lot of money that's spent on the help for these people who are very poor. And of course, we often talk about you don't preach to somebody who's starving. You feed them first. And so there's been the giving is obvious. We give to help, feed them, give them a roof over their head, give them clothes on their back, and then teach them. And the giving that we do is something that the Lord sees. Now, we've got a very good system, I think, where it's, um, it's all done in secret and more mainly, and that's the way it should be. The giving is done, done through the banks and it's only one or two people that can actually see where that money's moving, where it's coming from. The Lord sees it and the, the giving and how it's used is all in his eye. He saw the rich 
giving from their vast wealth. And I think we've also got to say was thank God for the rich. <laughs> because the rich who gave, the Lord was not condemning them for their riches. And the fact that they were giving of their wealth was just a comment of fact. And that is what we rely on. And the rich amongst us, they give. And what they give is only seen by the Lord. And therefore the Lord will decide. The Lord will recompense. And the Lord will judge. And we give thanks for people who the Lord has blessed and they use that money for him and they give some of it back to him. And But the Lord was pointing out something just a little bit above that. That whilst we can see the rich giving of their wealth, that's good. We need that. And that might contribute considerably to the coffers that, are need, that we think are needed. But the Lord homes in on the widow woman who gave from her poverty. That made me think, how do you give from your poverty? Now, the obvious maybe is there as well. She gave all that she had. So therefore, percentage-wise, she gave far more. So that, that bit is obvious. And therefore, if you look at the percentage she gave, everything. She gave more, not in monetary terms, but in percentage terms. She gave more. But she gave of her poverty. And that, I think, it just leads you into the heart and the understanding that the rich that give can do so easily and they've got 90% maybe still left to spend on themselves. And fine, Sorry, not that. I'm just they they give maybe their ten percent, and uh, but that's of their wealth, and they continue to be wealthy. The woman who hasn't had a meal, and maybe hasn't paid her rent, and she still gives to God, is that stupidity? It's, no, she's giving of her poverty. Because the most important thing to her was the Lord and giving to him. So therefore, her hunger, her need for a roof over her head, whatever her circumstances, the priority was, I need to give to God. And that was a, the poverty of her, was the poverty that she needed to subject herself before God. And I think that's where giving from her poverty meant was that she <coughs> was on her knees before God. She was subjecting herself to God. She was not somebody who was standing there in all their pomp and pride and counting out 10%. She was somebody who I think totally subjected herself and therefore gave in her poverty, in her appreciation of the person that she served, which was the Lord, that she was nothing and therefore she had nothing but what she had she'd give. 
there's also the picture of the trust. You know, it's easy to give 10% when you've got 90% in the bank. It's not easy to give 100% when you're hungry. And that's something I don't think, I mean, I haven't experienced that. I have seen it in other countries to a certain extent. And some have seen it more than me. But uh, it's a heart-rending situation to see and, and to marvel at that we, and it's not our fault, if you like, that we are born in a, an affluent country and that we are educated and able to be wealthy, at least in the eyes of the majority in the world. That's where God put us. And that's where God's given us to, um, to work within and such like. But it makes it harder for us to be able to give of our poverty. Do you understand what I mean? It's easy to give from our wealth. But to give from our poverty, that needs a personal subjection in our lives. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to give all our money away. I'm not, I'm not even think it, I don't even think it means that. In my mind, it's, it's our poverty, our position of being a sinful people before God who has been saved by the grace of God, who's been brought out of our sin, being told we could give, have eternal life, and our respond is not that we're suddenly rich and swan around posing as such, but that we are poor and compared to the Almighty God, we are nothing. And that's where we should be. And that's where we how we should live like that. And constantly going back to the beginning, what do you think of Christ? I think he's marvellous. I think he's majestic. I think he's glorious in all his holiness. And what he's done for me is wonderful. And who am I in comparison? I am a poor, worthless sinner. And that's where we need to be. And then he'll use us. It's harder for him to use us if we're strutting around in our riches. And I think this woman here, the Lord was pointing her out, um, not just because of the percentages that she gave 100%, but because she gave from her poverty and she appreciated the importance of the two mites because it was all she had and that's what she wanted to give God. She wanted to give God all that she had out of her poverty because she was nothing in comparison to the great God of heaven. Shall we pray?